Andre Thomas, a convicted triple murderer, is known for gorging out his own eyeballs and gruesomely murdering his wife, their son, and her daughter. Andre's case, though, is unlike others, as it is the center of reform within the Texas court system. This episode does contain discussion of murder, mental health, and the gruesome killing of children. Welcome to An Easy, a podcast hosted by Lexi and Cecilia. This podcast is a collection of research based on haunting and mysterious events that will leave you feeling genuinely uneasy. Discretion is advised. Andre Lee Thomas was born March 17, 1983 in Muskie County, Oklahoma to Danny Rochelle Thomas. He moved to Sherman, Texas when he was just a kid, and Sherman is just about 60 miles outside of Dallas. His mom ended up being the primary provider for him and his five brothers. He had three older brothers and two younger brothers. And this was just a lot for his mom. Again, they lived on the outskirts of Dallas. Things are expensive. Feeding five boys as a single mother is incredibly hard. Rochelle actually had troubles of her own. She had depression. She was an alcoholic. And she believed that she was actually receiving special messages from God. Andre's grandmother also experienced this calling, I guess you could say, where they kept hearing voices thinking that it was God. Okay. So they're either, are they just really spiritual or is this something else? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So... Rochelle didn't work very often because she was focusing on these callings from God, but also she had depression, was an alcoholic too. So this just really mixed into a lethal combination for her well-being. And the Thomas family just in general had a long history of substance abuse and violence just 10 years before Andre was born. His grandfather actually stabbed his ex-wife's new husband. It's a long line of like mental illness and violence with and substance abuse within this family. I feel like you kind of slid that one in and it really <laughs> took me by surprise. The fact that Andre's mother, Rochelle, did not work and they didn't really have a family like system to rely upon The Thomas family was often without running water, heat, electricity, and this caused the family to spend a lot of time in church just because that was mainly where they were receiving like food and kind of shelter at this point. However, this did not stop Andre from being a great kid in school. He was noted always for being so well-behaved and truly passionate about God. Aw, that's so sweet. At age 10, though, Andre's life does begin to take a turn. This is when he himself begins experiencing auditory hallucinations. So he was believing that he was hearing angels and demons arguing in his head. And this, in part, caused him to stop attending church as often. That's really sad that at the age of 10 that happened. That's such a young age to, one, have auditory hallucinations, of course, but two, like, that church was essentially his, like, safe space 
from like his family and from it provided you know running water heat electricity for him and now he's having these hallucinations that he unfortunately is what it seems like he is associating with church his mother was unable to receive help and his grandmother was unable to receive help so like things at this point are not looking good for andre and things get so bad that he actually tries taking his own life at just the age of 10. Oh my goodness. He's cut his wrist for oh. the first time. What a baby. He's just a baby. Oh, that makes me so sad. He also begins smoking weed and drinking, just trying to deal with everything he's experiencing. Things, again, do not look up for Andre at age just 13. He begins try taking his own life again, and this time he actually uses a butcher knife to slit his wrist. Oh my goodness. Ugh. It just literally hurts my heart so bad. It's so young. It's so violent at such a young age. I just can't imagine like the pain that he was going through and the sanity he felt within himself to hear these voices constantly and know that like he wasn't the only one in his life that were experiencing this thing. So at age 15 in 1998, begins his first run-ins with the law. He has his first string of arrest for just like petty things, including car theft. And he was placed in juvie. And immediately upon his arrival in juvie, he was placed on suicide watch. Because as soon as he was arrested, he told police officers that he just wanted to kill himself. Actually released just after two days. And he received no therapy during his time in juvie or after until he was scheduled to receive just a couple sessions while on probation. That's really sad because it sounds like ultimately he's a mental health consumer. And if this would have been provided to him at a young age, a lot of people are able to operate day to day with the correct help i also think like if his mom received help then his whole life could be on a different trajectory like his mom would be able to work at the same level that like other people were working at the time like full-time hours and being able to provide for the family the way that they needed so just the lack of mental help for all members of the Thomas family really affects the group. In therapy, he did receive a series of diagnoses, you could call them. So they said that he had disturbed personality characteristics. He needed irrational poor judgment, perception distortion, feelings of unreality, and anxiety. That's a laundry list of things that are actually really difficult to deal with, especially if you're not being offered help. So I feel bad for him. What I do find most shocking during this time when he was diagnosed is he is not diagnosed with depression, even though he has tried to kill himself numerous times. And he's not diagnosed with any form of schizophrenia, even though he has been hearing voices since he was 10. That is strange. I'm wondering if, I don't know. Do you think it had something to do with the fact that it was late 90s, early 2000s, or just that there was another reason that he was having these 
like auditory hallucinations i think there are a couple of things that play like play into it i mean they're definitely it's the time but also he's not receiving the actual care that he really needs like he's not getting full mental health treatments he's just attending a couple sessions so i think that like the inability for him to just go see a therapist regularly does play into that because there aren't they aren't able to fully understand him and understand what he's going through right they don't have a lot of time with him to fully diagnose so for andre after he gets released from juvie things do start looking up for him he meets this girl named laura boren she was born on november 7th 1983 so just a couple months after andre and they fell in love Andre thought that he she was his soulmate, and he got her pregnant just a year after they got together. In August 1999, little Andre Jr. was born, and they nicknamed him Juicy. I don't like that nickname <laughs> for a child. I'm just going to throw my opinion in there. I don't like that. I have no clue why he was named Juicy. Um, maybe he liked a lot of juice, but who knows? So, Andre tried his very best to be a really good dad to now Andre Jr. His dad was very absent in his life, and he wanted to be the exact opposite of his dad. So, he actually dropped out of the ninth grade to fully support his family and take care of his son. That is insane. That's He's such a little a, baby. Drop out of ninth grade, ninth grade. Like, think about what you were worried about in ninth grade. Honestly, I was worried about the fact that I had to change for gym, for like gym class and wear ugly That's gym clothes. Fair. That was what I was most worried about. Not taking care of a child, and the knowledge that we had in ninth grade is so different. Not even just like basic educational, but the lifestyle knowledge, like just general street smarts that you get from being around people your own age and having those life lessons, he's not going to miss out on because he's leaving at, in ninth grade. Yeah. Andre, when he dropped out of school in ninth grade, he started working full-time jobs to take care of his family while still trying to earn a GED that he was actually successful in earning, which I do feel like is a major accomplishment for a kid so young. It is. And working 40 yeah. hours a week. He was working at Burger King and I think like Red Lobster. So he was really trying genuinely. That's great. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that he was at least trying. I feel like a lot of people will drop out and then that's the end of it. On March 17, 2001, to make his family even more whole, he actually married Laura on his 18th birthday. She was still 17, but Laura's parents loved Andre at this time. They tried supporting him in every way that they could and thought that he really did care about Laura. That's so sweet. Yeah, Laura's father would later go to say that Andre was extremely good at, at presenting his best side, but in 2001... The parents did support the two. Just two weeks after they got married is when we really see the turmoil between Andre and Laura. Andre's mom, Rochelle, kicked them out of her home 
again just two weeks after they got married and that made Andre and Laura split up. He was forced to live with one of his brothers and Laura and the baby moved back into her parents' home. Laura and Andre ended up getting separated just four months after they got married. How did that turn so bad so quickly? I was kind of rooting for their little (laughs) love story there. I think just like the separation and like once you're apart from each other, especially at such a young age, you start to see kind of the cracks within your relationship and they're not able to live together. Andre's still like trying to support the family, but he's obviously not being able to if they can't all live under one roof. So I think there's a lot of like hardships that the couple's facing that just made them end up separating. And this separation caused Andre's condition to get far worse than it was while he was with Laura. His delusions and suicidal thoughts intensified. He would actually even go as far as duct taping his mouth shut for days on end because he was often known to be screaming at the voices within his head. What? That's so sad Mm -hmm. that he is experiencing such negative mental health and has no help to that to that extreme that you're duct taping your own mouth shut that that's an extreme case of poor mental health he also while still reading the bible he became obsessed with apocalyptic concepts within the book of revelations and while all this was going on it was just incredibly hard for him to keep a job He's constantly having these intrusive thoughts and delusions. And he was actually accused of stabbing his own brother in a fight, but he was not indicted for it. His brother was then committed to a psychiatric treatment, which forced Andre to live alone. And with all of this that's going on with Andre, living alone could have possibly been the worst thing for him. He did not stop at just assaulting his brother He also assaulted a guy that he thought that Laura was with at the time. Mm, So he clearly still loves Laura. Yeah, I think even to this day, he thinks that Laura is truly the love of his life. And I don't think anything could possibly change that. By 2002, Andre went to jail for three months due to a string of petty crimes, and during this time, Laura had moved on from Andre and moved in with her new boyfriend, Bryant Hughes, and in 2003, they actually had a baby together named Leah Hughes, but again, Andre did not move on for Laura. He continued to fixate on her, but sometimes he would have these really negative thoughts about her and he began to believe that she was a Jezebel and that his own son was the Antichrist. I actually feel so so terrible for him like to have those images of your like first love and your own child I'm I'm surprised that he isn't diagnosed with schizophrenia at this point. He I, yeah, he's in jail, so, like, mental help is considered free at this point, but I think it just goes to show the structure that prisons are created upon where sometimes they do not have the proper resources to truly take care of the inmates. And Andre has been seen multiple times as just a violent guy, but there 
since he was 10 have been shown that there's true underlying issues behind that. He even thought that the meaning of life was contained in a message within the images of the United States dollar bill and said that he was constantly experiencing deja vu within his day-to-day life about saving the world and this apocalyptic future that was bound to happen. Andre was living alone prior to when he was in jail and when he went back out, he still wasn't with anyone and it was really hard for him to get a job due to everything he was experiencing. So he really struggled to pay utilities. So after his jail time and his lack of being able to provide for himself, Laura started limiting his visits with Andre Jr. So it was kind of just when Laura would allow it. And in spring 2004, in addition to weed and alcohol, Andre began taking Corsidrin cold medication. So at high doses, the main ingredient is classified as a dissociative general anesthetic and hallucinogen, which can be similar to ketamine and PCP. This cold medicine mixed with his already very prominent hallucinations just did not go well for Andre. It is a double negative at its very worst. And we really began seeing the effects that this has on him. So on March 5th, 2004, a friend escorts him to a mental health clinic after he, after he took a bunch of cold medicine, and people assumed that this friend was Andre's then-girlfriend. Andre told the staff that he would step in front of a bus if he could, if he could not speak to anyone, and so the staff did try to help him. They told him to go to the emergency room to get the soonest help and they had a judge prepare an emergency detention order but during this time that they were waiting to get this order Andre just did not report to the emergency room and he went home he was trying to get help at this point and he knew he needed it but it was just taking that final step it just never happened And then about three weeks later, Andre mixed cold medication with vodka, and then he proceeded to stab himself in the chest. Oh my gosh. So again, this is just another attempt on him trying to kill himself. And his mom found him and took him to the emergency room, told the people that he was just trying to cross into heaven, and this was like what would save him. This wound was non-life-threatening, so as he was waiting to receive just treatment for it, he was not rushed immediately back for surgery or anything. He was just waiting in the emergency room. The physicians were making arrangements for an emergency detention order, the same thing that happened on March 5th, but Andre again walked out of the hospital. And the physician on staff notified the police department that they thought that Andre was going to be dangerous, but the police department just didn't really do anything about it. And Andre walked a few miles home, all the way home that day. Wow. So again, just another attempt of Andre in part trying to save himself, but not receiving the treatment that everyone knows that he truly needs. And then on March 26, 2004, 
just two days after Andre stabbed himself. Andre, Laura, and Laura's boyfriend, Bryant, were hanging out in Laura and Bryant's house. So I think they had just like a very amicable relationship. Andre was the father of Laura's son. And I think Laura did know that like Andre just needed help and had a care for him that like wasn't going to go away. And technically they were still married throughout this. They were just separated this whole time. This night, he got really paranoid that Bryant was going to kill Laura. He started hallucinating while Bryant was just holding his extension cord, like, in the house. And he actually goes to the kitchen and grabs a knife at this point to protect Laura. His voices become even more aggressive, saying that Laura is a slut and that their kids are the Antichrist. And the voices tell Andre the only way to protect Laura and the kids is to kill them. The demons in his head tell him that upon killing them, all the demons within Laura and the kids' bodies will be released and they will be saved. I'm just, I am upset that if they have such a decent relationship and she allows him to be around his son... She had to have known that this behavior was happening and she didn't help to get him the help. That kind of, no, I just feel like nobody is advocating for him because clearly he can't advocate for himself. I definitely feel like people could have pushed him a little bit farther, but they can't fully control him. I mean, at this point, Andre is a grown man. So it's like, that's right. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink that kind of thing. Right. And of I mean, yeah, we saw that when he walks out of the hospital. Twice. He's there. He's going to be, yeah, twice. He's going to be given the treatment, but he walks out. Yeah, and of course, Laura, there's no way that Laura didn't know she was with him while he was a kid and like five years after he started experiencing everything. But I think also she kind of just wished the best for him and wished that he would just like get better, um, which sadly has not happened. But that night... Andre did have a little bit of restraint in him. He put the knife away and he did not kill them. And actually, he allowed Bryant to drive him home around 10 p.m. The very next day, March 27, 2004, Andre changes completely. Andre woke up to God's voice saying that he had to kill Laura and the kids to save them that day. And there was no other option. He kicked down Laura and Brian's apartment door around 7 a.m. The kids were home and Brian had just left for work. Brian actually waved to Andre as he was leaving for work and Andre was approaching the apartment. Andre was carrying three knives with him because he believed he needed to kill them all with different knives, because if their blood's mixed, the demons might survive. Wow. Andre fatally stabbed Laura, carved into her chest, and pulled out some of her lung, thinking that it was her heart. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's so aggressive. I like... Wow. Because like... All he did the force that that takes. Yeah, all he needs to do was stab them for their demons to be released. 
per his thinking. So I don't understand the the fixation on the heart at this point. I think he genuinely was so like in an ill state of mind that he like thought that the hearts would somehow like keep them alive or something. That is the only thing I can think of is Vampire Diaries. How in that show, if you've seen it, you know that they pull out hearts in that show. And that's the only thing I'm thinking of. And how much aggression it takes a vampire to do that, let alone a human being. Like that is so much aggression and strength. He continued his aggression as he went into the next bedroom where the children were sleeping. He stabbed his four-year-old son, carved into his chest, and ripped out his heart. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, Cecilia. It's so sad. He then stabbed Laura and Brian's 13-month-old daughter, carved into her chest, and ripped out her heart. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He that is wild. He put both hearts and the lung into his pocket and then shut up. After he killed them, he stabbed himself three times in the chest. He expected to die from his wounds that day, and he went to the living room and lay next to Lauren's body to pass beside her. Then a while passed within that day, like 30 minutes, 30 minutes passed. And he was just laying there, just waiting to die. He realized that he wasn't going, in fact, going to die that day. So he got up, walked five miles to his dad's house. There he left a voicemail for Laura's mom. The voicemail reads, um, Shelly, this is Andre. I need y'all's help. Something bad is happening to me, and it keeps happening, and I don't know what's going on. I need some help. I think I'm in hell. I need help. Somebody needs to come and help me. I need help bad. I'm desperate. I'm afraid to go to sleep. So when you get this message, come by the house. Please? Hello? I am so conflicted with my feelings because this entire time, I have felt so bad for Andre. He has not had a lick of luck. And then this happens, and I'm upset with Andre, but I'm also upset, like, how upset can I be at him? Because he's obviously, he's obviously a mental health consumer. He can't, he hasn't gotten the proper help. I'm so conflicted. Yep. It's crazy to think what would change if, like, things were different from the very beginning. Um, So after he leaves his call... For Laura's mom, Shelly. He heads back to his trailer, and that's where he meets up with his girlfriend, his cousin. He tells his girlfriend what he did, and she's actually the one that takes him to the police department. So, during this time, he still had the hearts and the lung with him, and there's a lot of varying stories on what actually happened to them. Some say he threw them away at his dad's house. Others say the police confiscated them. Some say they were just left at the trailer. So unknown what happened to the body parts but he turns himself into the police at 9 30 a.m 
This is before most people get up for the day. All of this has happened in like two and a half hours. Wow. Like I literally sleep in later on the weekends then. And he's killed three people. Yeah, he's busy. Blocked. He was busy. New, like over five miles and gone to the police. Yeah. So while at the police station, he does tell them that he thought God wanted him to kill the victims. And police noted that while he was telling a story after turning himself in, he was lethargic and calm when he was telling the how and the why on why he murdered, like the how and why for what he did to his family. He did ask the police, though, that if he would be forgiven for the murders since he also tried killing himself. Like, if him trying to kill himself reversed everything. Poor thing. The police were like, no. But they did, while he was in custody, they did take him to the hospital. And he actually underwent an emergency chest surgery. So while he did believe, while he was laying there with Laura, that his injuries weren't life-threatening, they were. It just wasn't an immediate death. Um, so if he had not gone to surgery right away, then he could have potentially died that day. After he got treatment, he went back to jail and recorded a confessional in jail. At this point, his hallucination, his hallucinations got significantly worse. He told everyone that he was the 13th warrior on the dollar bill. Unsure what that means. I have not found any warriors on the dollar bill. Um, yeah, I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar with that one. Um, I'm not going to lie. Somebody told me that they were the 13th warrior on the dollar bill. Um, I would do the, the DC nod and wave and keep walking because I, um, that just seems a little like something I don't want to dip my toes into that conversation. I'd be like, who are the other 12? Like... Martin Luther King Jr. Like, who are we talking about? What warriors? <laughs> what warriors are we talking about here? And he also told people that his kids were not dead because he cleansed their souls. So I think he truly believed that he was like saving his family at this point. Five days after the murder on April 1st, he was reading the Bible and he had believed to reread Matthew 5.29 which says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gorge it out. So he, in fact, did that. He removed his right eye with his bare hand that day. Oh, my goodness gravy. With his bare hands? The amount of force and pain that a normal person would go through, and it did not faze him. I can't even touch my eye when I have an eyelash in there. Yeah. That's wild. The whole way to the hospital, he kept asking for Laura. He said he wanted to talk to her and ask her for her forgiveness. And truly think... What he did was so awful. What he did was so awful. But I feel so bad. Like, why am I like, oh, he's asking for Laura? Because I... I don't think it was with intent. Like, it's not... A, I think he was in a state of delusion. It's not a typical murder where someone... This is not, like, 
a crime of passion or crime of rage, any of that. In his mind, he believed he was saving his family. And he was so in such a state of delusion that he really thought, like, it did not occur to him to kill, like, you can't save someone by killing them. Yeah, I agree. After returning from the hospital, psychologists did interview Andre to determine if he was competent to stand trial. And at this point in the podcast, you would think that, of course, he's not competent. So they did diagnose him with a version of schizophrenia. And this version just means that you haven't had schizophrenia for more than six months. With his diagnosis of schizophrenia, he was declared incompetent to stand trial, and he was sent to the North Texas State Hospital in mid-June of 2004. After spending just 47 days in the hospital, his previous psychiatrist, Joseph Black, wrote to the court to tell them that Andre was only in a drug-induced psychosis and said that he was completely competent for trial And he was just exaggerating his mental illnesses by engaging in self-harm and other deliberate behaviors to seem incompetent. Wow. Was, I mean, do we know if he even was a drug user like that? So he was taking that cough medicine and he had started abusing alcohol and marijuana since he was 10 so he did have a long history of drug use, but I feel like that's more typically related to methamphetamine, um, you know, a little bit higher level of narcotics than weed or, you know, codeine to have that extreme hallucinations. And he started taking drugs because of his hallucinations. So... A lot of people don't agree with the retraction from Joseph Black, but his defense attorney did not argue it at the time because he was ill with pancreatitis. He did later go to say that he really did regret not objecting Black's statement um, because Black's statement completely changes the whole course of Thomas's trial. So originally Thomas wasn't going to stand trial for these murders he was just going to be sent to a hospital to live out his days and now on february 15 2005 his trial begins so this is just almost a year after these murders and he stands trial for the death of 13 year old leah hughes so just the daughter of laura and bryant during this trial andre's luck once again is not there he faced many injustices. First, he was released from that mental institution and deemed mentally fit. And second, he faced an all-white jury. Andre and Laura's relationship was biracial, and his all-white jury had several opinions about it. Three of the selected... Why am I not surprised? I was going to say, like, it's 2005. Why is it still like In that? In Texas, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I would... Yeah, I don't think I would be surprised if that happened today in Texas. So I'm, that's what I'm going to say about that. Mm-hmm. Three of the selected jurors and one alternate juror indicated they were opposed to interracial couples marrying or having children. And one juror indicated vigorous opposition, noting 
I do not believe God intended for this. We should stay within our own bloodlines. Oh my gosh. So with jurors, the lawyers get to pick for both sides who is a juror. And if there's conflict, then the juror will be excused. Right. I've seen How to Get Away with Murder, the show. I watched that episode where they're picking jurors. But Andre's lawyers did not excuse any of these three selected jurors or the alternative. Knowing during pretrial that they were incredibly racist, they were allowed to stay. Did they not want their client to have a fair trial? It sounds like it. Wow. And Andre's behavior in court was exactly how one might imagine from him. He did refuse to talk to his counsel. He just seemed very unresponsive a lot of times, like, would not respond to people and just physically wouldn't even, like, move. The jurors did note, however, that he was snacking on Skittles during graphic testimony and that, like, weirded them out because it was like, how can someone just casually be eating candy during such graphic testimony? Yeah. Um, But again, like, Andre just wasn't mentally there sometimes. Um, Andre's counsel did still try arguing for the insanity plea. They The state stated that Andre's mental illness was caused by or worsened by drug use. And in Texas, the law invalidates an insanity offense of a mental condition as a result of voluntary intoxication. So that was the state's argument. And they used the doctors from the hospital to testify against Andre. But for the defense, they argue that Andre removing his own eye showed that he was quite, in fact, insane. But again, the prosecution argued that the eye stint was indicative of impulsive action rather than insanity. So Andre was, in fact, convicted of capital murder and given a death sentence. The jurors found him guilty after less than an hour of communing. Wow. That's very short. Especially for a murder case, I feel like that isn't that short. After Andre received his death sentence, he was sent into Polanski Unit at the Texas Department of Criminal Justice prison that housed male death row inmates. Andre would go to spend 23 hours of a day confined to his room, and then the other hour would be for individual rec time and showering. He continues to hear voices, even saying he saw tall demons coming out of the walls and playing music from the band Queen. So this complete isolation did not help him with his voices and hallucinations, He's essentially like completely alone for 24 hours a day. Like, yes, he gets an hour of outside time, but he's still by himself during that time. Andre did attempt suicide again in 2008 by cutting into the front of his neck with a sharp object, and he would go to receive eight stitches from it. So, very extreme. Again, in 2008, in October... He did try appealing his case, and the Texas Court of 
criminal appeals upheld Andre's previous conviction. The judge wrote that although reasonable people might well differ on the questions of whether this applicant was sane at the time he committed these murders or incompetent at the time he was tried, the issues were appropriately addressed by the defense, the prosecution, trial judge, and the jury during this trial. This is a sad case. Applicant is clearly crazy, but he's also sane under Texas law. And I think that this appeal really took a toll on Thomas because just a couple months later, he ended up removing his left eye with his bare hands and ate it. He ate it? Yes. A little snacky snack. And he was deemed fit for trial. Yes. I'm over here racking. This case is truly going to cause me to think about this for a long time. This case has actually um, been at the forefront of a lot of social reform. Just showing that everyone listening to this is probably agreeing with us saying that, of course, like this seems so insane. But the way that the laws were in Texas at this time... The judge admits that he's crazy, but saying that he's under law, technically sane. Like, they see that he's not well, but there's nothing to do about it. And there's currently a bill in Congress right now trying to be passed that kind of eliminate the things that Andre went through. So the reason why he removed his eye is because he said the United States federal government was actually trying to read his thoughts through his eye. So he had to remove it. So they couldn't do that anymore. He was treated for this at the hospital and then he was transferred to a Texas prison where they deal with mental health problems for people. Early 2020, Andre's case was brought before the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. So, yes, he was convicted in 2005, but being on death row, that can last. Like, people have died on death row waiting to be sentenced to death. Like, that just takes a many year long process for it. So, it's not abnormal that it's now. 2020, and he's trying to appeal his case again. An attorney sided with Andre, saying that his original legal representation was ineffective, said that his attorney failed to object the selection of three jurors within a bias against interracial marriages, um, and they presented an an accurate account of Andre's longstanding psychiatric problems. And they did not request a competency hearing and presented a psychiatrist as an expert witness that did not have any expertise in cases where mental illness was allegedly drug-induced. So his lawyer, as we spoke about earlier, just didn't fully argue Andre's case as expected. In response to the appeal, prosecutors said that while there was evidence to support Andre's mental illness, he was not insane. So again, it's this catch-22, like, he's insane, but he's not insane. He's legally fit for trial, but everyone thinks he's crazy. In April 2021, the Fifth Circuit Court did uphold the original court's verdict. 
So Andre went to go peel again. In October 11th, 2022, Andre's case went all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States. He had petitioned for a writ of certoria, which is essentially an appeal to the verdict from the Fifth Circuit Court. And three justices completely agreed with him. Um, They wrote an opinion piece saying that his counsel fell far below an objective standard of reasonableness, which violated his right to effective counsel, and that seating jurors opposed to interracial marriage violated his 6th and 14th Amendment rights. However, even with the support of these three judges, he still didn't get the full support of the Supreme Court, and they, they did reject his request to consider an appeal. Crazy that it made it all the way up there. They made it all the way to the Supreme Court, and they still are not recognizing. I think that also shows how partisan the Supreme Court is and like what certain judges will, what justices will consider like versus other ones um yeah i just double checked the date i went and looked i was like okay when was this in the supreme court to see who is sitting um yeah i agree yeah and this shows that like andre really and like the people surrounding him really truly believe that like yes he may have committed these crimes but he didn't commit them with sanity and it's not fair to put someone to death that was not fully understanding what they were doing and the harm behind it. He truly thought that he was saving his family, not executing them. And it's not an easy thing to digest. I mean, obviously you've heard us throughout this whole episode being like, Oh my gosh, I feel bad for him. But like, that's gruesome and terrible and horrible, horrible what he did. And I don't think anybody's trying to deny that. I think the whole point of it is he wasn't given the help that he could have gotten slash, like you said, he was in a state of pure delusion. Mm -hmm. So after all of his resources were exhausted, on November 11th, 2022, Thomas received the date that he was going to be executed, which was April 5th, 2023. He was scheduled to die less than a month after his 40th birthday. However, on February, in February 2023, a clemency petition for Andre was filed asking that Governor Greg Abbott and the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles commute his sentence to life in prison or grant a reprieve to determine whether Andre was competent to be executed. Attached to the clemency petition was a letter of support from dozens of Texas mental health professionals and more than a hundred Texas faith leaders. So a lot of people within Texas truly believed that he should be given some type of another trial. Greg Abbott is known to be very Republican. So This was a really big ask for him. Luck does finally come into Andre's arms. On March 7th, 2023, State District Judge Jim Fallon delayed the execution date, giving Andre's lawyers until July 5th, 2023 to prepare a request for competency hearing. So Andre is now meeting with his lawyers to prepare this request 
to determine if he's going to be executed or not. Come July 5th, 2023, Andre's future may completely change. Most people admit that he is mentally unwell, but is it enough for him to no longer be sentenced to death? That question will be answered by Judge Jim Fallon. Next week on Uneasy, join us as the Easter holiday and spring season inspires the research into next week's episode, where we share one country's unusual Easter traditions and their native responsible for killing potentially over 100 of his patients. We can't wait to make you uneasy wherever you find your favorite podcast. Thank you.